Welcome to Dire Trip, where we deep dive into all sorts of spooky, horrific, or just plain weird crimes, lawsuits, and strange happenings all over the world. Without further ado, let's get into today's story. When one of the most brutal crimes in recent memory took place on a moving bus, the public soon became outraged and demanded changes to what had become a problem that was spiraling out of control. The crime came to shock multiple nations awake with its sheer horror and brutality. In what became one of the biggest crime cases of the 2010s, the world would soon put pressure on a government to finally change their ways, but the problem ran much deeper than merely a legal one. Our story today starts with a group of miscreants sitting together, eating, drinking, and conversing, having what they called a party. This party was anything but a happy one, though. It was the lead-up to one of the worst crimes I've ever talked about on this channel. This is a warning. If you're sensitive to anything involving violent sexual assaults, very violent ones, then don't watch this video. If you think you're up for it, let's get into it. This group of men consisted of a 20-year-old gym instructor named Vinay Sharma, a 28-year-old bus cleaner named Akshay Takur, a 19-year-old simple fruit seller named Pawan Gupta, a 17-year-old juvenile named Muhammad Afros, and then two brothers, 26-year-old Mukesh Singh and their ringleader, 30-year-old Ram Singh. It has been said that the 17-year-old Muhammad had just met Ram Singh and decided to work with him, becoming a peon within their little group. Akshay Takur was married with a child and looking for some easy cash himself. All in all, all of these men were looking for some easy money in one way or another, and they didn't really care how they got it. They began to brainstorm how they would get their hands on some cash. Ram Singh drove a charter bus on weekends, which led him to an idea. Why not take the bus out on a weekday, pretend to be a regular city bus, and rob some unsuspecting citizens once they boarded the bus and couldn't get off? They decided that this would be a great idea, deciding to, in their own words, have some fun. All of the men hopped onto the bus and started driving around, looking for someone standing at a bus stop who needed a ride. They came across a 35-year-old carpenter named Ramadir Singh, unrelated to the Singh brothers, and picked him up. The youngest, Muhammad, looking like an innocent kid, was used to lure the man onto the bus, telling him that they were heading toward the direction in which he needed to go. Once the bus was in motion and Ramadir was locked in, the men ganged up on him and beat him up, stealing his phone and the equivalent of about $18 in cash. They then stopped the bus and threw him off. The man approached three different police constables in the area who were passing by. He told them that a group of men were driving around in a fake bus in order to rob people, but all three of the officers said that the robbery didn't take place within their jurisdiction and they refused to act. He was told to take the claims to the appropriate station and waved off. He knew that by the time it would take him to get back to that station, the bus gang would have plenty of time to rob someone else. The gang continued to drive around, attempting to pick up more people, but they didn't really want to rob people, they wanted a little bit more. They passed a few young women, but either couldn't convince them to hop on board or were just ignored. So they continued to drive around until they could find someone they could take advantage of. Jodi Singh, born in 1990, was the eldest child of a pretty modest family. Her parents were from a small village far out from Delhi, where they currently lived. 
While her mother stayed home, Jody's father worked two different jobs to support his family and send his kids to the best schools that he could afford. When he was young, he always had dreams of becoming a teacher, but his family never could have dreamed of sending him to college. He decided that he would never deny his own kids that experience. Even when it came to his daughter, he didn't want her to be limited to a homemaker if she didn't want to be, hoping to give her the same opportunities as his son's. Jody was living her life, recently having graduated and working as an intern while socializing and dating. Her boyfriend was a man named Awindra Pandey, a software developer living in New Delhi. One night in December of 2012, the young couple decided to go to the theater and watch Life of Pi. After the movie ended, the two went on a walk to the bus stop, hoping to head home for the night. At around 9.30pm, the two arrived at their stop and noticed a bus already waiting there for them. A teenage boy hung out of the door and urged them to get on board, telling them that the bus was about to leave very shortly. The couple was skeptical that this bus, being a school charter bus, would actually go to their destination, but the boy on board assured them that, today, this bus was operating that route. They looked in, seeing several other men on board, appearing to be passengers, and decided that there wasn't much reason to be suspicious. After all, they were tired, in a hurry, and just wanting to go home. Jody and Awindra sat down. The boy from before came up to them and asked them for a little bit of bus fare, for which they handed over a small amount of cash. The bus driver then shut the doors to the bus and turned off the lights. Including the driver, there were only six other people on the bus, much less than usual. Not only that, but the bus was taking a strange route. It appeared that it wasn't going toward their stop after all. Awindra spoke up, asking where the bus was really going, saying that they were told it was going to a completely different area just a moment before. All of the other men on the bus turned around to taunt the couple, asking what they were even doing out at such an hour. They started to tease Jody and make sexual comments to her in particular, upsetting her boyfriend and causing him to curse them out. Three of the men came down the aisle towards the couple when one of them punched Awindra in the face. Awindra got a few good hits in, punching all three of the men and surprising them. During the scuffle, they even managed to break a glass portion of a partition above some seats. This was when one of the men pulled out an L-shaped iron bar and began to beat them with it. Jody began to panic and pulled out her phone, attempting to call someone for help. But then the men grabbed their phones from their hands and began to beat them both with the iron rods. The men then dragged the couple apart by their hair. Jody tried her best to help her boyfriend, but they couldn't close the distance. Awindra was gagged, beaten, and had his leg broken. He was hit over the head until he got dizzy, finally losing consciousness. The men then took Jody all the way to the back of the bus and continued to beat her with the rod. This was when the absolute horror really began. All of the men took turns sexually assaulting Jody, each taking their time to force themselves on her, switching out drivers in order to keep the bus going. Jody tried to fight back, biting the men on their arms, but this only sent them further over the edge. They bit her back all over her entire body. They then began to insert the iron rod into her, more and more violently until it completely ruptured her insides. Then Ram Singh, the ringleader, put his hands into her through her underside and began to pull out her intestines, throwing them to the side and dropping them to the ground while the other men watched. Jody began to lose consciousness multiple times, but she wouldn't be allowed that mercy. Each time she did, the other men would hit her over the head with the iron bar again in order to wake her up. 
This lasted for an entire miserable hellish hour while the bus was driven throughout the city. Once the monsters were satisfied, they took Awindra and Jody and stripped them of their clothes, robbing them of every single item they had. They then stopped the bus and threw them out on the side of the highway before driving away to clean the bus and remove the evidence of the crime. Laying on the side of the road without any clothes, the couple were barely even able to move. Jody was completely unable to budge, but Awindra did everything he could to stand and get some attention. Some cars stopped, but seeing that the couple was completely naked and covered in blood, got spooked and sped off. It wasn't until a highway patrol van stopped that the police were called and the two were taken into the hospital. At the hospital, Jody was taken in for emergency treatment, but Awindra wasn't treated with the utmost urgency. He was left on the floor, still without any clothes, in a pool of his own blood, begging for a phone to call his father. A staff member called his father on his behalf, but failed to mention the name of the hospital he was at and hung up before providing any more information. His parents were left with no choice but to search every hospital in the city. He was left with head injuries, a body covered in bruises, and a broken leg. Jody was put onto a ventilator in critical condition. She was absolutely covered in bruises, cuts, and other injuries. Very visible bite marks were present all over her body, and it appeared that some sort of rope was coiled around her lap. She had suffered massive damage to her genitals, uterus, and her intestines. Jody was able to wake up and tell the police exactly what had happened to her, with Awindra giving his input as well. A special investigation task force was put together in order to find the criminals. The police were able to get a good description of the bus and gather some CCTV footage from a highway camera. They identified the bus as being from a private school in South Delhi. Knowing that, they were able to find the driver of the vehicle was none other than Ram Singh. With Awindra's help, they were able to get some sketches of the other attackers and start their hunt. First off, they were able to track Awindra's stolen phone and find one of the suspects right away. It didn't take long at all for all six of the men to be arrested. Ram and Mukesh Singh, living in a slum in South Delhi, were very easy to track down. Vinay and Pawan were found next. Muhammad was soon picked up as well. Then finally, Akshay was arrested as well, shocking his wife and his son. It appears that Pawan Gupta was the only one of the attackers who felt a semblance of guilt for what he had done. He immediately professed his guilt and insisted that he deserved to die. He was told that he was likely to be hanged and accepted it without question. Mukesh Singh, after it was revealed what he had done, was immediately flocked upon by other inmates in jail and beaten to a pulp. He was thrown into solitary confinement purely to keep him alive until his trial came about. Ram Singh was taken before the Metropolitan Magistrate on the 18th of December, but he refused to take part in the identification process. A further investigation found out who he was, bringing to light that he had an extensive rap sheet with instances of frequent drinking, fights with employers, and a history of being labeled as insane by those who knew him. One day later, Jody was already undergoing her fifth surgery, in which most of her remaining intestine had to be removed. The doctor said that she was stable, but still absolutely in critical condition. Jody's doctor later told the press, The injuries that she sustained I had never seen in my life before, nor have I since. I have never witnessed such horrific brutality by men before. 
it's difficult to describe in words how atrocious this was. The same day, Oindra was testifying in court about what had happened with the two. His statement was recorded in front of the deputy police commissioner. He was played with both trauma and an unrelenting sense of guilt following all that had happened, appearing to be a shell of his former self. Soon enough, this case made the front page news for its sheer brutality. Since India's laws forbid the publishing of a victim's name within the media, it was decided that she would be given the name Nirbhaya, which means fearless in Hindi. As a result, this crime was and still is often called the Nirbhaya case. A few days later, on the 21st, the Indian government promised an outraged public that they would file the charge sheets as quickly as humanly possible and impose the maximum penalty possible on all of the attackers. They promised a time period of one week in order to get the charges filed. The Delhi police were being heavily scrutinized for failing to investigate the bus assailants when they were first informed of the issue on the night of the attack. Action was taken against the three officers who ignored the carpenter about his robbery, with two of them being suspended for failing to report on what they had heard. That same day, the government appointed a special committee of medical professionals to make sure that Jody got the best medical care possible. This was in the wake of massive protests being held in New Delhi at multiple locations, including the home of the President of India. These protests were held in order to demand better rights and treatment toward women throughout the country after a long history of heinous crimes against women that went unchecked. Women, men, and children all turned up to voice their opinions. Thousands of protesters ended up in a battle with police officers, being hit with batons, shot with water cannons, doused in tear gas, and arrested. All throughout the country, other protests were taking place as well. In smaller cities, hundreds of people turned out to protest, while in bigger cities, protests consisting of thousands of people were taking place. Even on social media like Facebook and WhatsApp, people changed their profile pictures to reflect the current situation and passed around petitions in relation to the incident. On the 24th, the Prime Minister urged the public to remain calm, saying that violence wouldn't solve anything. He attempted to ensure the public that they were making efforts to ensure the safety of women throughout the country, saying that he was a father of three daughters himself. As a tribute to Jody, he cancelled all of his official events. It was announced that a financial assistance package of roughly $25,000 and a government job would be given to Jody's family. Jody's mother stood at her side whenever she could at the hospital, able to talk with her from time to time while she was awake. She said of Jody, She kept saying her only wish was to see them hanged. Words cannot explain the horror. She cried every time she talked about it. I will never forget how disgustingly brutal they were. I remember trying to make her eat but she was in so much pain she couldn't even eat a spoonful. She kept telling me to sit and hold her hand instead. It was decided at a cabinet meeting held by the Prime Minister that Jody would be flown to Mount Elizabeth Hospital in Singapore in order to get the best care possible moving forward. This was specifically a hospital that specialized in multi-organ transplants. Some doctors felt that this decision was purely political, noting that it wouldn't be necessary for her to get those organ transplants until weeks or even months down the road. It was said that Jody was not in a stable enough condition to be moved. Jody was put onto the flight on the 27th, during which she went into cardiac arrest. She fell out of consciousness. The doctors did what they could to stabilize her, but she was without pulse for nearly three minutes. She arrived in Singapore without ever regaining consciousness, and she never would regain it again. 
By the next day, Jody was in extremely critical condition. The hospital said that, in addition to her previously reported injuries, she also had an abdominal infection, pneumonia, and was suffering from brain damage. Their prospects were anything but good. Her condition fell apart rapidly, and one day later, she passed away in the hospital in Singapore. Her family was devastated, with her brother saying that they had been told she had high hopes for survival before the decision to move her and fly her to a different country was made. After Jody's death, the national protest only gained in intensity, appearing in even more cities throughout the country. Many of the protesters carried candles, and a good number wore black blindfolds and black cloth over their mouths. Protesters clashed with the police once again. More peaceful protests were taken as well, however, with hunger strikes being particularly common. Graffiti was painted all over roads and the sides of buildings, criticizing the government and condemning the attackers. It was demanded that a special hearing be held to discuss stricter laws on crimes against women. The protests spread outside of India to neighboring countries with similar concerns, such as Nepal, Pakistan, and Bangladesh. People from all walks of life and all areas of society, men and women, the elderly and children, turned out to protest. The protest even spread as far as Europe, with demonstrations taking place in London and Paris as well. At the time, New Delhi had the highest number of sex crimes across all the major cities in the country, and the amount of cases was only increasing, going up by 17% from 2007 to 2011. It was said that there was a sexual assault reported every 18 hours within the city, and those were only the cases that were being reported. To make matters worse, of the 706 cases reported in Delhi in 2012, only one, that's right, one, had resulted in a conviction. In some cases, the victims had even died from the sheer brutality of the assaults. People were fed up. On January 3rd, the police finally filed charges against all of the adult attackers. They were hit with charges of rape, murder, attempted murder, robbery, kidnapping, and destruction of evidence. Shortly after, they were also charged with the robbery of the carpenter. Mukesh, Vinay, and Akshay completely denied the charges against them. Even Pawan Gupta was now denying any wrongdoing, going back on his previous statements of guilt. The lawyers of the men said that their clients' previous admissions of guilt had all been coerced. As if the public couldn't get any more outrage, the lawyer of one of the men, Manohar Lal Sharma, gave an interview that was nothing short of despicable. He said that the victims of the attack were responsible for the attack, not the attackers. He said that this was because they shouldn't have been using public transportation and they shouldn't have been out after dark as an unmarried couple. He said, in his own words, Until today, I have not seen a single incident or example of rape with a respected lady. Even an underworld Don would not like to touch a girl without respect. He added that Awingdra was at fault for what happened with Jody, saying that he, quote, failed in his duty to protect the woman. The 17-year-old assailant, Muhammad Afroz, whose name was hidden in the media, was six months away from his 18th birthday. On the 28th of January, it was decided that he would not be tried as an adult. A petition was held to do it anyway due to the horrific nature of the crime, but this was rejected by the juvenile board. He was to be tried separately in a juvenile court. On August 31st, he was convicted of rape and murder and given the maximum sentence of three years in a reform facility. 
and this included time served for the time he had spent waiting on this verdict. Jody's younger brother, upon hearing this, attempted to attack him in court, but the crowd held him back and restrained him. Things went quiet for a while, with all of the attackers rotting away in jail, until the 11th of March. This was when jail officers went to check on Ram Singh and found him hanging from a ventilator shaft in his prison cell that he shared with three others. They said that they weren't really sure if he had ended his own life or had been killed by the others, but it goes without saying that nobody really cared either way. It was seen as good riddance and the matter wasn't investigated very thoroughly, if at all. The four surviving adults were put through a fast-track trial. This included a presentation of evidence, witness statements, the surviving victim statement, DNA testing, and dental modeling. On September 10th, all four of the attackers were found guilty of the charges against them. They all faced the death penalty, with protesters outside of the courthouse demanding they be hanged. Jody's father agreed, saying, We will get complete closure only if all of the accused are wiped off the face of the earth. The men's lawyers all stated their intention to appeal, but they were sentenced to hanging on the 13th. The judge rejected any plea for a life sentence, saying the courts can't turn a blind eye to such crimes. Jody's mother was happy to hear this, saying, We were waiting with bated breath. Now we are relieved. I thank the people of my country and the media, as the courtroom applauded. Hearing the verdict, Vinay Sharma collapsed to the ground and began to cry and plead with the judge. The men were grabbed and dragged toward the doors leading out of the courtroom. All of the attackers looked toward the crowd and shouted, Brothers, save us, but they weren't going to be receiving any sympathy. While waiting on death row, Mukesh wouldn't keep his mouth shut about feeling that Jody was at fault for the entire incident. He said in an interview, You can't clap with one hand, it takes two hands. A decent girl wouldn't roam around at 9 o'clock at night. A girl is far more responsible for rape than a boy. Boy and girl are not equal. Housework and housekeeping is for girls, not roaming around in discos and bars at night doing wrong things, wearing wrong clothes. About 20% of girls are good. He said that it was her fault that things escalated to murder, adding, When being raped, she shouldn't fight back. She should just be silent and allow the rape. Then they'd have dropped her off after doing her and only hit the boy. The death penalty will make things even more dangerous for the girls. Now, when they rape, they won't leave the girl like we did. They will kill her. Before, they would rape and say, leave her, she won't tell anyone. Now, when they rape, especially the criminal types, they will just kill the girl. Death. His lawyer, equally horribly, added his two cents as well, saying, You were talking about man and woman as friends. Sorry, that doesn't have any place in our society. We have the best culture. In our culture, there is no place for a woman. A female is just like a flower. It gives good-looking, very softness, performance, pleasant. But on the other hand, a man is like a thorn, strong, tough enough. The flower always need protection. If you put that flower in a gutter, it is spoiled. If you put that flower in a temple, it will be worshipped. The lawyer of one of the other men, A.P. Singh, said himself in an interview, if my daughter or sister engaged in premarital activities and disgraced herself and allowed herself to lose face and character by doing such things, I would most certainly take this sort of sister or daughter to my farmhouse, and in front of my entire family, I would put petrol on her and set her alight. 
In March of 2014, all appeals were denied and the death sentence for all of the attackers was upheld. The court said that this crime fell into the rarest of the rare category, which warrants unquestioned capital punishment. So their lawyers decided to appeal to the Supreme Court. This failed as well, with the appeals of all four of the men failing. Not only did they fail, they were sentenced to a further 10 years for their robbery of the carpenter for good measure. Jody's family did what they could to change the laws about juveniles in the country, hoping to make it so that they could be tried as adults for such crimes. And in December of 2015, three years after the attack, they succeeded. The Juvenile Justice Act was revised, allowing teens at the age of 16 to be tried as adults for brutally violent crimes. The killers remained on death row for years. Akshay sent another letter to the Supreme Court begging for mercy, but it was thrown out. His lawyer then stated that they would appeal to the president. This was ignored. The other killers all tried similar endeavors, but they all ended in failure. Pawan even tried to argue that he was basically a juvenile at the time of the crime, despite being 19 years old. After all of the killers exhausted all of their legal options and delayed the execution for years, finally it was decided that the men would be executed on the 22nd of January 2020 at 7am. However, the sentencing was delayed, partially due to some legal loopholes and partially due to the pandemic. After multiple delays, the sentencing was set for the 20th of March at 5.30am. Numerous more pleas were made by the killers and their families, but to no avail. Akshay's wife, Punita Devi, still maintained his innocence. However, she decided that rather live through the stigma of becoming the widow to an executed criminal, she would file divorce with him instead. This divorce still attested to his innocence while conceding the fact that she would be better off not married to him. She broke down time and time again in public during the process. Jody's father said that he felt very relieved that the hanging was finally going to take place, stating, When the judge announced the death penalty, I stared right at these men and I saw the fear of death in their eyes. Two of them were crying, even. But I wasn't bothered and I had no sympathies for them. I will never forgive or forget what they did to my daughter. They're now paying the true price for what they chose to do that night. The day finally came. It was the crack of dawn on March 20th, 2020. Mukesh Singh, Vinay Sharma, Akshay Takur, and Pawan Gupta were given their last meal and a new set of clothes to wear for their big day. They were blindfolded and carried up to a special set of gallows made for four. While the men did not physically resist, Vinay once again broke down crying and began to plead with the guards to do something and save him. They did not. All four of the men were hanged. It has since been rumored that someone set their ropes up to be as loose and soft as possible, ensuring nothing less than the most agonizing time possible. It took a whole 30 minutes for all of them to finally be pronounced dead. Following this crime, the crime of rape became a capital offense within India. Not all were on board, however, shockingly enough. A politician named Mulayam Singh Yadev vehemently opposed the change to the law, saying, literally, boys will be boys, boys commit mistakes. In the aftermath, the number of female tourists to India fell by well over a third compared to previous years. The foreign ministries of several countries, including the UK, amended their travel advice and urged women against traveling to the country alone. The Minister of Finance, Arun Jaitley, said, 
One small incident of rape in Delhi advertised world over is enough to cost us billions of dollars in terms of lower tourism. Awindra lives a very different life to how he lived before. While he was once a happy, social guy, his outlook on life has changed drastically. He said in an interview, Now I don't go to malls anymore. I have also stopped taking buses after that incident. This will take time to heal. Things haven't changed much since. Charter buses are still unsafe during the night, what with those tinted windows, no lights, or guards on them. Mohamed Afroz, the once juvenile attacker, was released from his rehabilitation facility on December 20th of 2015, off to live a relatively normal life in a new area. A post-release plan was submitted, saying that he should, quote, lead a new life with a new identity provided by the appropriate government as applicable in his case, if permissible, to avoid any backlash or violent reaction. After leaving his facility, he stayed in somewhat of a halfway house for a while, where he learned cooking and tailoring. The government didn't only set him up with a new life, they even gave him enough money to buy him a sewing machine and tailoring equipment, as well as money to rent out a tailoring shop and support him for a good while. Muhammad's family disowned him after the crime and refused to accept him back, but he was able to find a job working as a cook without them. The government, setting him up with the cooking job in the end, didn't disclose to his employer about who he was or what he had done. They had been shifting his location from time to time so that nobody could track him down. He now lives a normal life with a normal job with the people around him none the wiser to who he really is. A documentary about this case by the BBC called India's Daughter was released around the world. The documentary was banned in India. This was on paper due to showing unauthorized interviews with the killers. Many suspect, however, that it's to keep the public from once again remembering the attack. India still blocks uploads of the film online to this day. Jody's family, along with an entrepreneur named Sarvesh Kumar Tiwari, established the Nabraya Trust, which is an institute that helps women who have experienced violence to find shelter and get some legal help. Jody's father said, So many people supported us, so we want to help those girls who have no one. Once again, this has been your host, Kyle. Thank you very much for listening to today's podcast episode. Feel free to look through my huge library of other stories if you found this one interesting, and be sure to be there for the next stories that come out each and every week. Have a good night.